Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Straight out of Austin, Texas, it's On Second Thought, powered by Hook'em.com, with your hosts, statesman sports columnists, Cedric Golden and Kirk Bowles. Often imitated, never duplicated. Hear it here first on Second Thought. 2-2 from Southern. Breaking ball got him, and Texas is going back to Omaha. On Second Thought, episode 265, brought to you by Hook'em.com. Our good friends at Bud Light, Cedric Golden here with the Duck. Kirk Bowles. Duck, it's College World Series time, and I've got to keep it real. We, I mean, we might not be even going to Omaha if not for our guest. Tristan Stevens brought the noise, shut down Greenville for the rest of the season, and the Horns play Notre Dame on Friday. Tristan, what's up? How are we doing, guys? Doing awesome, man. You are the man of the hour, I'm telling you. Can you, can you kind of put into words the emotions that you felt when uh, y'all end up clinching that trip to Omaha? Uh, it was pure joy and excitement. Um, you know, like I've told you all in the past, and I've said it over and over again, this is exactly why I came back. It was to help this team make another run and hopefully end it with a, a dog pile in Omaha. And, you know, to be able to get the opportunity to pitch game three of the Super Regionals to help us get there, it was it's definitely – a a lot of excitement. I think the camera was on me quite a bit from what my it parents was. told me in the it dugout. Was, all all I, the time. I had a bunch of texts from people saying that they could see me pacing down the dugout. <laughs> oh, yeah. But um, yeah, it kind of goes to show how excited I was to hopefully get that last out. I was like, man, look at him. He's, he's like a caged animal. And <laughs> if, if, if you didn't know the score, you'd swear it was two to two going into the bottom of the ninth, not 11-1. I mean, um, six innings, one run on only five hits, five strikeouts, just uh, just a wonderful clutch performance. And, uh, yeah, that is definitely my alarm going off. And That wasn't clutch there. That wasn't clutch at all. Um need to ask you, you came in relief in game two. You face one batter. You throw uh, nine pitches, and one of them's wild. Pierce replaces you with Andre DePlantier. It was very possible, Tristan, that that could have been your last appearance as a Longhorn. Hodo Homer to cut it to 7-4. Uh, Skyler Messenger ties in an eighth with a three-run bomb. And then Dylan Campbell has the two biggest at-bats of his young life. Um, Kirk calls it Texas magic. But what does it say to you about the spirit of this team? Yeah, I mean, you know, what makes this team so special is that, you know, we never give up. And I think that mentality and that culture that's kind of been built in this program the past few years is really starting to be brought to the light when we play. Um, what's crazy is that even when we were down seven to two, the whole dugout knew that we were somehow going to find a way to come back. And I think that really goes to show how special this team really is. 
Um, and in regards to that being that my last outing on Saturday, I was really hoping that wouldn't be the case. <laughs> and um, yeah, it wasn't. And then obviously I got the start in game three and the rest is history. How down were you after that appearance thinking this could be the last time I put on this uniform? Uh, I mean, you know, for a split second, it was obviously disappointing, but at this time of the year, it's not really about me. It's about the team. And all I want to do is, is win and get to Omaha. So, I mean, it was really awesome to see Dre come back and do what he did after kind of the ups and downs he's had this season. And so it was really encouraging to see him do that and pick me up and pick this team up. And at the end of the day, it worked and we came back one. Yeah, he, he was impressive. He was. And uh, I was curious how your nerves were. And you, maybe you were more nervous pacing the dugout after your stint was <laughs> over than actually pitching. It kind of seemed that way because he seemed so calm on the mound. But uh, can you relate that first inning where you get the four runs and, you know, then you get the rain delay and then you come out and give up a couple singles and give up then three fly balls and just shut them down after that? Yeah, I mean, the big, big thing with that team and especially playing at that place was to limit the big innings, which kind of bit us, um, you know, Friday and Saturday. And so we talked about the game plan and how if we can just minimize those big innings and have them only score, you know, one run, you know, we'll definitely give our offense a shot to help carry this team. And, um, you know, obviously I took my cap to world for kind of bit bailing me out on a 3-0 pitch. I didn't really think he was going to swing at it either. Green light all the – I was oh, my God, he had the green light. That was yeah. big. That, that was, it was that, so big. Isn't that bases loaded with no outs? If he uh, It was first and third. First and third, no outs. First outs-ing. and third, and he was the hottest hitter on that team. And, and honestly, I don't even – I haven't seen film yet, but I didn't think it was that good of a pitch either. He was definitely <laughs> – he, he definitely bailed me out. Um, what pitch was but, it? Yeah. Those was a sinker, you know. Yeah. I'm not gonna try to do anything else in that count, but he definitely bailed me out. And then right when he did that, I was like, "You should not have done that." <laughs> <laughs> but you escaped. You escaped, and then you know you have the wrong rain delay, and then you come back and y'all score five runs. Give us uh, Cedric and our audience and me a little picture of that rain delay. I mean, you guys playing cards? Are you telling dirty stories? Are you talking too low, holding court? What did y'all um, do during the delay? We didn't do a whole lot. I mean, the first couple hours, it was more just guys relaxing. Um, we turned on some of the other college baseball games that were going on. Some of us were watching that. Some of us were napping. Um, we actually had some managers run to the gas station a few times to pick up some energy drinks and coffee and <laughs> and just some snacks. To kind of, it, was a, it was good because we kept it loose. But then once we kind of knew that the game was going to start soon, Tulo and Coach Pierce – brought the team back together and told us it's time to, you know, lock it back in, get that back into what we call our funnel, kind of just to get mentally uh, prepared to go out there and compete again. But, um, no, it was it was good. I mean, it wasn't like we were too locked in. Same time, it was kind of a nice bonding experience. Um, so long. Cool yeah. was that? Yeah, we're, we're, not, we're not new to that. And last year in Omaha, we had a few rain delays that oh, yeah. we liked that too. Yeah. So it wasn't our first time. <laughs> when did you know you'd be starting game three and um... – uh, how did how did uh, Sean and uh, Coach Pierce uh, approach you? Uh, what did they say to you after they handed you the ball? Yeah, so I actually I found out I was starting that Sunday morning. Um, I got a text message from Coach Allen um, 
Saturday after the game, I texted Coach Pierce and Coach Allen saying that I was more than capable of starting game three if they gave me the opportunity. <laughs> um, kind of my way of politely saying, please give me the ball. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah. And so I got the text from Coach Allen Sunday and I remember I was so excited. I was, I remember I called my brother and my parents and said, it's exactly, you know, why I came back is for this moment and took advantage of it. And, you know, the results ended how they did. <laughs> kind of kind of a storybook too. It's like, and then did you, I know you're locked in Tristan and you pitched just a whale of a game, but are you able to savor it and enjoy the moment or is that impossible to, to really enjoy it while you're in the heat of the battle. Yeah, honestly, it's it's so hard for me to enjoy it when I'm in the, the middle of it. Um, you know, our big thing that we've talked about as a team is next pitch. And so I can't even really enjoy it because I'm so consumed in what's happening in that particular moment. And so it wasn't until the last out when you all saw me run out there and finally quit pacing that I could actually – Right. Um, you know, soak in what, what really happened, you know, because at one point in the seventh inning on Saturday, we were down five runs and not a lot of people probably thought we were going to do what we just did. So it was definitely a, a special moment for this team. Got off to a 3-0 start, 3-0 start uh, in the season. Um, <coughs> having Tristan Stevens' performances, but but um, you hit a rough patch around Big 12 time, four-game stretch. Gave up like 20 runs in four games. Um, mm-hmm. And you went to Pierce. You text message, You texted him and said, look, I just want to win. I'll do whatever, whatever I need to do. And I think him moving you to the bullpen is one of the most important moves of the season. Um, what put it on your heart to do that? Because no one on this, no one on that pitching staff has more skins than you, more mm-hmm. energy, more, more experience. But you put team. You put the team first, and how hard was that to uh, send that text message knowing that you probably weren't going to be starting again? Honestly, it, it wasn't hard at all. Um, that's just kind of how I'm, I'm built mentally is, you know, at this time of my life, I'm 24 years old. It's not like I'm trying to raise a draft stock. We, we all know how that kind of did for me last year with the season I had. So, um at this point, it was just like, I just want to do whatever it takes for this team to get to the national championship and win it. Um, I think everyone knows that I've dreamt of playing at this school and I want to represent this school to the best of my ability. And so it was an easy decision. You know, I think we need to shake something up and I have that bullpen experience. That's what I did before I became a starter. So I thought it was kind of, you know, hey coach, like I'm not saying you need to do it, but um, that's an option, you know, think about it. And you know, he took into consideration and he did it. And I think, honestly, by him doing that, it was a kind of a little reset button for us. And it definitely um, paid off. You know, I, I think it kind of was a nice regroup for this team. And and then, of course, I go back to starting again that last game. And, and it was just like wash, rinse, and repeat, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> well, how what, what was the low point for you this season? I mean, you, you led the conference in wins, win 11 games. You're all – Big 12 and top of the world. Y'all going to Omaha, finish top four. Was there one low moment uh, during the season? And what got you through that, Tristan? Um, I wouldn't say there's a low moment for me individually. Um, 
I think a low moment for the team and as a whole was definitely the Oklahoma State series. Um, I think that was a big wake-up call for us. And, you know, I think I think that it was, you know, at that point, that's where we we're going to find out what this team was really made of. And, um, right. you know, after that series, we all came together. We had a meeting. Mm-hmm. And then we said, you know, this doesn't define us. We know what we're capable of. And, you know, we can use this adversity and, and the criticism to our advantage and come to even closer as a group and, you know, and take off and do what we do. And that's kind of what we did. You know, we – we know what we are capable of. We know how talented we can be and we have the experience to do it. And so um, I think at that moment and that time of the season, that was kind of our, you know, flip the page and let's get back on track. You're right. You get run, run off. Off. Go ahead, yeah. Seth. Yeah, you, you, you get a sweep right after they run off 11 wins your next 13 games and <clears throat> um, Austin Regional. And, man, you, you've had so many moments this year. The – the, the one that, I mean, before this past weekend, the one that I thought was was really cool was was La Tech. Three and two-thirds innings of, of, of great relief and 8,500 people giving you a standing ovation. You paint the corner to end the game, and people are going absolutely nuts. And that was your last appearance on the yeah. mound you ever write a book man can you script it any better than that yeah I'm, i'll never forget you know my dad's not gonna like saying this but he was in tears after the game um i didn't even really think about that being my last time at the dish because i was just so into the moment but it was kind of a couple of days later i was like man you know that's exactly how i wanted it to go down you know last pitch to make a save to help this team get to supers um it was definitely a special moment for me and my family. And, um, yeah, like you said, I don't think you can ride it much any better than that. <laughs> Lucas Gordon, he was – you know, you're the resident towel waver when you're not yeah. in the game. And Lucas Gordon had the Tristan Stevens towel going mm-hmm. going crazy in that dugout. And you catch a Darius Myers looking. And, you know, it was the only time in that whole game that you guys retired him in order. That's how oh, – the, yeah, they were – In the ninth? Mm-hmm. The ninth, yeah, no, they they were they were a tough team. Yeah, they were. What uh, going back to Omaha? Uh, some unfinished business, y'all. You played in Mississippi State. You y'all won one, lost two, one run games, and just barely missed getting in that championship series. Uh, got a lot of veterans back that have been there before. Uh, one that that is going back that wasn't there last year, uh, Austin Todd, you know, another six-year senior like yourself. And mm-hmm. he said it was it was miserable at home watching from the couch and not being able to contribute. What's what's he said since uh, y'all cleansed the, the trip to Omaha? And uh, describe that whole Omaha experience first time you go there. Yeah. Um, you could definitely tell. You can see the emotion on his face, even if he didn't want to admit it after we beat East Carolina. Um it was definitely a special moment for him just because he's battled so many injuries. Um, even this year, kind right. of having to overcome what happened with his shoulder and to still come back and not only just be a piece of this team, but a huge part of our lineup and mm-hmm. still putting up the the numbers he's doing is incredible. Um, but, you know, going back to Omaha, like you mentioned, with how experienced this team is there, um, I think we're definitely going to use that to our advantage. Um, it's definitely something that you want to enjoy when you're there, but don't get caught up in it because, you know, 
like I've told y'all, we don't go to Omaha. We, we go there to win it. Um, and I think that's definitely the m- mindset that this team's going to have. What a brutal bracket, uh, man. Oh, wow. Kirk and I are old enough to remember the Southwest Conference. You aren't boring yet, Tristan. <laughs> They they used to get after Texas and 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 Oklahoma and, and Texas A and M and um, you know OU is the O Big Eight but they would play Texas every year and you got Arkansas just possibly waiting for the, whoever comes out of there in the finals. Um, are there any conversations about these rival these old rivals that are populating your side of the bracket? Uh, we haven't really had much talk about it we we had an off day yesterday i'm at the field right now getting ready to prepare for practice today but um you know at the end of the day like most teams don't like us anyways if we're being honest <laughs> you, you <laughs> so were born at those ecu fans you 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 didn't have the benefit of watching it on television but you were there you oh yeah born at, they got bust in from college station they were yeah <laughs> But it doesn't take them long to it just doesn't take oh, them long to get that horns down thing going. Oh yeah. They're they're a very passionate fan group. Um we were we knew we heard about it, but you know, to go in there and experience yeah. it, we were pretty impressed with how passionate their fans were for their baseball team and how passionate they were to not like us. <laughs> <laughs> but they yeah, like that's nothing new. So I mean we haven't really considered much with the rivals being there. I definitely think it's cool though. I mean, cause I am a UT fan. And so I know kind of the history with, you know, playing those programs. So it's definitely going to be fun to, to see them up there with us. Yeah. Y'all really silence that stadium there in Greenville. I mean, it was so quiet for so long, taking the crowd out of it like that. Uh, oh, well, Doug, I, and I was, I was like, man, I never played in the little league world series, but um, that, that feel kind of, it took me back to watching little league world series. Cause a lot of those home runs wouldn't wouldn't even made it to the warning track at the dish. I mean, that yeah, was a crack box. Go ahead, Kurt. What about Notre Dame? That's who y'all play first. Uh, do y'all know much about them? And uh, I know Pete's probably eager to get back on the mound and and do better than he did in, in Greenville. Yeah, um, I mean, we don't know much about them. We know that they're a good program, and we know that they play the game the right way just from watching them play on TV. Um, Obviously, they're talented, and they don't let the moment to get too big for them, considering what they just accomplished at Tennessee. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, at this point in the season, anybody that's there has definitely got the capability of winning it all. And so that's how we got to take it. And, you know, we just got to take it one day at a time, you know, get a good work in today, good and work in tomorrow, and then, you know, we'll go from there. Has Pete well, hit a little dip? Uh, you know, he hadn't pitched quite as consistently and as well as he has all year long. You know, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's that's just baseball, yeah. you know. Um, it's not going to be a perfect, you know, ride in the sunset. Aaron's going to get those bumps yeah. in the road, yeah. You know, um, I think, and you know, Pete's definitely capable of bouncing back, and I think he ought, you know, he will. Last one for me. Um, you've done it all, you, you've started, you've long relief, you've been the closer. Uh, is Tristan Stevens back in that number three hole? Should we expect you in that third game? Because we know you're not going to in Q. Are you ready to be the starter just like it was at the beginning of the season? You know, uh, I think the Longhorn fans and college baseball fans should, you know, expect me to throw whenever 
the game, like whenever the game's being played, whether that's in the third inning, the fifth inning, the ninth inning, or as a starter, um, mm. you know, that's just kind of how I am at this point in the season and kind of my role, my role is whatever the role needs to be. That's how I would say it. But do y'all, do y'all feel going in, Tristan, do y'all feel like a favorite? You were there last year. Uh, you know, do you feel like a favorite? And what, what sets this team apart, do you feel like, Tristan? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think what, you know, I, or this team has an advantage of is, one, we have the Omaha experience. Two, we're old. You know, we have a bunch of guys that have played a lot of baseball. And, and three, I think we got the talent to back it up. Um, you know, it's a good formula. Pretty you know? selfish team, too. And, yeah, yeah. And I think the culture is definitely there. So um, I think this team is definitely capable of making a run and hopefully ending it with a dog pile. Well, oh, man, just so excited to, to chat it up with you. It's going to be a blast. You're finishing up your career where you want. That's why you came back. Yeah. Omaha Longhorns Irish on Friday. And be looking for three five sometime this weekend. We know we're going to see him. Tristan, just a pleasure, man. Have a blast. And thanks for joining us today. Awesome. Thank you all. Congratulations and uh, good luck in Omaha, babe. Thank y'all. Thank All you. Right. Take care. Bye. On second thought. Doug, good stuff with Tristan Stevens. Uh, the Horns are going to play the nightcap on Friday at 6. But the honor of opening up the College World Series goes to the Texas A&M Aggies who meet up with a familiar foe in the Oklahoma Sooners. 1 o'clock on Friday. Coach Jim Schlossnagel led TCU to five College World Series appearances. So this is nothing new for Schloss. He joins us right now. How are you, Coach? I'm doing well, man. Good to be with you guys and excited to still be playing baseball. Well, congratulations. And uh, first question, what the hell are you guys doing at Omaha? You've been there one freaking year, Jim. <laughs> yeah, I may. Uh, when I, My second year as a head coach at UNLV, my athletic director was the great college football hall of fame coach john robinson nice nice and and we won 47 games that year most in school history and he walked in my office and said you need to slow down <laughs> <laughs> you need to you need to, otherwise people expect crazy things but yeah i don't uh this time last year uh we had no coaching staff uh we had some returning players but we hadn't signed a transfer yet i uh, hadn't had a couple retained a couple staff members from Texas from the previous coaching staff, but I was waking up every morning at three thirty in the A and M Conference Center hotel in a and literally I'm not exaggerating in a full body sweat, going like, "What did you just do?" Like, and not and not that I, that I regretted my decision, but you, you know, you went from total comfort, total stability, uh, great place at TCU to to just starting all over again, something I hadn't done in 18 years. And so to see that as of today, we're, you know, we're headed to Omaha, man, it's a lot of, I mean, obviously a lot of people's hand are in it, but you really got to credit our players. They've, they've been awesome. You know what? Last June you took the job and, and the first thing you said is I want to be in Omaha next season. And people are oh, slow, slow, slow down. Slow. So just slow. Yeah. <laughs> like John Robinson said, of course he, he had Marcus Allen and OJ and Charles. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know if you had those, that caliber of talent. No. But here you are one year, almost one year to the day, and you make it to Omaha. 
You yeah. could have stayed at TCU. And and as long as you wanted, you built that place into a national power, but you left. What went into the, that decision, uh, leaving that comfort space, jumping from one uh, college baseball frying pan of the Big 12 into another, which is the very powerful SEC? A, a lot of things. I mean, personally, I'd been – I'll be open. I mean, I had been through a divorce and both my children were at TCU. Um, I just needed personally, I felt like at 51 years old, I felt like I needed some level of change. If I had stayed at TCU, I was going to move out to a, to a lake house. And I just needed something to kind of restart my own personal life. Uh, even if I had stayed at TCU, I would have, I would have just found somewhere else to live. Um, but professionally, you know, I'd spent 18 years at TCU, uh, expensive private school, eight years as an assistant coach at Tulane, expensive private school. And I just always had it in the back of my mind that if it, I had no problem staying at TCU the rest of my life and would have been, if that been honored that they would keep me there. Um, but if it ever was the right place at the right time, both personally and professionally, just to try it at a large state university and see, and I, you know, I, I tell people, I, I really, I truly believe I did not take a better job. I took a different job, just completely different. And, um, and certainly, you know, the, the, um, the enticement to compete uh, in the SEC um, in the, and not just in my opinion, as you see now, not just the best conference, but the best division of the best conference. There's four SEC West teams in the college world series. Um, I don't, I, I love coach Garrido. He was a, great, great friend and great mentor to me. I do not want to coach to 70 plus years old. <laughs> at, at least offend I, Kirk. Do not offend Kirk. Yeah. Watch it. Watch it. My guy. <laughs> yeah. I love him to death, but I don't, I don't want to be doing, I mean, I, I'll take Kirk's job at, the, at that age. I, <laughs> oh no, I you want, won't. I've seen, I don't want, I don't no, want this won't. job. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I, I just, I mean, and I may change my mind, you know, when I get to that point, but I just felt like at 51, you know, if I have 10 or 15 more years left in me, this was an opportunity to go. And I was close enough to my kids where I could see, be, be back to Fort Worth. They could get here. And then Texas A&M, uh, you know, I think has, it, it's been a great program. Coach Childress went to 13 straight regionals here, two trips to the College World Series. If it wasn't for TCU, would have been four trips to the College World Series. So I felt like it was a great program, but there was probably this little margin for growth. And that's where Ross Bjork came into play and said, nice. Hey, we, we, we want to take this thing to a whole new level. We want to spend 50 to 60 plus million dollars on a ballpark renovation. And so that part of that, that all of that together. Um, and frankly, I felt like, I mean, I, I don't think it hurt TCU to have a change, you know, it just, I, I, sometimes I think there's a shelf life to everything and, you know, they had, capable people there uh, in their mind to, to take over. So I think it worked out for everybody. Well, plus you got the Jimbo Fisher, $10 million a year contract, right? Similar, but different. <laughs> Not quite 10 million a year. No, no, I'm missing some zeros on mine. But, it's, kind, uh, it's, kind, it's kind of the difference between 84 scholarships and 11.7. I would suspect. Yeah. Somewhere in, somewhere yeah. in between there. Yeah. Something uh, like that. Well, yeah. you know, you guys start out. I think you're four and five uh, in the league. I think y'all lost a series to Penn. Uh, you came up here and, and whipped up on the horns in a midweek game. But I mean, you're four and five in the league. In that league, 
you're not going to Omaha at that point. What, no. what, what turned it around? And was there one crucial series that maybe all well, even, even you say we were four and five, which is very normal um, in this conference, but what really turned it around was we lost on a Tuesday night here at the university of Houston played awful. And um, we had, we had had some big injuries. We lost our starting third baseman. who was our best player after the first weekend. We lost our starting shortstop, and we were playing some guys that – young players that were talented, but they by no means were they ready to play in, in this league or at this level. And our DH left fielder, this guy, Austin Bost, walked in my office and said, Coach, I can play second base. Like, <laughs> I can function at second base. And so I was like, all right. So we, we rolled him out there at second base at Alex Box Stadium in our first conference weekend. No pressure and, there. <laughs> and we played – and he played solid defense, and we won Friday. We won Saturday. We're up 6-2 to two in the fifth on Sunday and lost. But it really changed this whole Pringles thing you may have heard about. That started that week. Um, and uh, it really changed the dynamic of our team and uh, the competitive grit that I had questioned of this club really showed up. It's certainly not Pete. There's no Pete Hansen on this team. There's no elite Friday night starter that you can hang your hat on. It's just a group of competitive guys. We do have three lefties in the bullpen that do a good job for us that we kind of live by those guys on the mound. Um, but everything else we do have, a, we, we have a good offense. Um, it's, it's a very good offense. Matter of fact, in the sec games only, we lead in about every, in every category over the great Tennessee. Uh, in all games, Tennessee is the leader, but in just SEC games, Texas A&M was. So I don't want to shortcut our players, but I think it was just that weekend. And even though we lost a close series at home against Auburn, we lost a close series at Alabama, every, we won every other series. Uh, yeah. And then really beating Arkansas here was probably a big one because they're, you know, they've been such a power. And winning that series and then propelling us into Ole Miss and Mississippi State, um, yeah, I mean, it's it, it's been fun. Kids, you know, belief is a powerful thing. I know that sounds coachy, but when kids <laughs> believe like, hey, man, no matter what the score, we can win, um, you, you just got to stay out of their way. Well, I, I got to see you guys. You're, you're, you're off to a 14-9 start, <clears throat> which is below Schloss standards. You venture in Austin uh, for a little midweek dinner date with the Horns. Jack Moss hits for the cycle. Dylan Rock hits a grand slam. You win 12-9. I go over and talk to a couple of your guys, and they're, they're, so, they're so jacked up because yeah. that's, that's a big win. And so you're 28-9 since that game. And how important was that game? I know it was a midweek, but how important was that game against a team that started the season number one in the country, 11-0? and yeah. Uh, and what do you remember about the bus trip back to College Station? Did it seem like a 15-minute drive? Yeah. Yeah, that, and, of course, that was my first game personally as a, a coach in Dish Falk, you know, in an A&M uniform versus TCU. Wow. So wow. that was a neat night. It was, I think it was at the time it was the second largest crowd and mm -hmm. maybe the second largest regular season crowd. I'm not sure, but second largest crowd in school history. And um, I think what was cool about it, obviously we have great respect for how good – that their program is and how good that particular team is. But I mean, we start, we started a walk on pitcher to, you know, and he didn't get out of the first inning. I think we were so behind the eight ball 
and everybody knew that going in from a pitching standpoint. We never, I didn't know who we were going to pitch, how we were going to get through the game. Um, but we just kept competing. We had a few uh, freshmen make some pitches. We had, you know, a, a couple of uh, Texas, Texas guys smoke some balls right at us. We had some things go our way. Um, and then we got the big hit, you know, from Rock. And so I just think the emotion of what we were up against uh, – relative to what we had to spend on the mound that night and to end up winning that game, um, that meant a lot to our team. And, uh, and obviously it meant a lot to the fans, but just this particular team, it, that was a big hurdle for us to see that we could go into a place like that in that atmosphere and do well. And so, um, yeah, that was, that was a fun bus ride home. And there's a lot of Aggies fired up. I mean, <clears throat> that was at a time when I was getting texts from, you know, Aggie donors that I don't even know if they, I don't even know if we, we, they know we have a baseball team. They know we play football and we know we have, and then we, they know we have a game, a baseball game against Texas. And I remember one huge donor texted me and said, Hey, most, most of us don't care if you win a game the rest of the year, as long as you win that one. Wow. And I said, well, I can promise you, we care about the rest of the games. I could, I'll lose that game every year to go to Omaha. So, um, but anyway, yeah, that was a good night. And, uh, you know, David's team has has done awesome, uh, really phenomenal. What he's been able to put together, uh, especially with the in injury to Tanner Witt, who's a great kid. And and so, uh, you know, they're they're playing at a high level, which which most teams are when you're making it to the World Series. It's funny you say that. You, you, you lose that game every year to get to Omaha. Well, actually, the year before, uh, the – Longhorns go down College Station and lose two to nothing. Yeah, and then the Aggies don't do anything else the rest of the year, uh, and then yeah. everybody don't make the tournament. Yeah, no, yeah, don't, don't make the tournament. So this this was a tale of of two seasons. Go ahead, Duck. Yeah, uh, as far as Texas, I mean, have you heard from your old boss, Chris Del Conte, at all? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we talk uh, we talk fairly often just because we're good friends, but. Uh, yeah, the, the night that uh, the other – well, I should say the morning because I, I fell asleep before the ninth inning. Um, <laughs> so did when the, ECU. <laughs> when, uh, yeah, when the Longhorns were winning in Greenville. But, uh, but yeah, I, we, uh, he FaceTimed me, and uh, I said, hey, man, do you, need, would, do you need us to just fly through and pick you up? We can just all ride together. <laughs> Barpool. And, and, yeah, I, and I told him, I said, I, I know you're always looking to save money over there, so we'll just <laughs> – We'll give you a ride. It, it, it'll be kind of like an Uber. Um, <laughs> we'll just pick you up. But he said, uh -huh. no, we're good. We'll make our way on our own. But no, uh -huh. I, know he, I know he's excited. I mean, the, the Del Conte effect on going to the College World Series, you look, he's got a pretty good record between Rice, TCU, and, <laughs> and the University of Texas. So uh, I'm excited for him, and I'm, I'm excited for David. I mean, those, I, it's so hard just to make a regional these days, much less get to Omaha. Yeah. So. Um, what a, you know, what hope, a bracket. That, 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 that would be awful fun to play them yeah. on, on Sunday night, you know, in the winner's bracket game. But Oklahoma, as you know, is they're playing great. They're There's playing down. awesome. And Skip's, Skip's got them rolling. It's a real, that's a real baseball team, offensively, defensively on the mound. Um, and so is Notre Dame. So who knows what's going to happen up there? Yeah, that's one, that's the bracket of death, I think, right there. So. <laughs> Yeah, you you instead mentioned you know the the heroes in that midweek win over Texas. Uh, how many transfers did you end up bringing in to College Station, Jim? I think it was eleven. Really? Um, wow. Yeah, which 
I mean, I don't know. People say, you know, we, we couldn't have played a season without these guys. I'm, I'm not talking about – and that's not because of the lack of talent of returning players. That's because of just pure numbers. Like, we didn't have – we would have not had enough players to play. Wow. I, I promise you. Um, <laughs> because I think – and that's not a slam on Coach Childress. I think anytime you guys have covered college sports forever, anytime you just let a coach's contract run out instead of, you know, yeah. making, what, making whatever decision you need to make, Rooting, that, um, that hurts. Yeah, yeah it, it, it kills it kills that guy, and it, it sets the next guy up. But the transfer portal was the saving grace, and had that not not been in play, oh baby, um, I don't know where we'd be. So, you know, we're certainly and 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 the other thing is these days with the early recruiting, you know, we have to recruit guys in their freshman sophomore year of high school. When you take a job these days, you're not just one class behind; you're two and three classes behind. Yeah. So we're, we're going to have to hit that portal, not as not 11 guys, but we're going to have to take four to five. And then hopefully we can get it to the point like Texas is that, you know, that's what you want, where you have your Faltine, you have your daily, you have your Melendez, you have your Arduan and you cherry pick you know, the third baseman. Right. right. Um, and that's ultimately that's where Texas A&M has to get and we'll get there, but it's not going to happen overnight. And you, and you got those 11 all over the course of a, a month or two? A month. Wow. Yeah, a month. I mean, it's yeah, it was it was crazy. I mean, on I'll tell you this, on any given moment, this time last year, I could pick up my cell phone and I could be having a conversation with Jacob Palish, a 24-year-old grad transfer computer science major from Stanford, or an eighth grader, 14. <laughs> <laughs> Some so choice. A 10-year difference in in uh yeah. And, and, and that's but that's college recruiting these days. That's yeah. that that is what it is, unfortunately. You know, when that transfer portal has changed the game, you bring in Jack Moss from Arizona State. He's hitting 391, uh, fielding 996. He's probably the best defensive first baseman in America. You get Dylan Rock from UTSA after career season, 338 with 18 bombs. Uh, Micah Dallas from Tech. You mentioned Jacob. From Stanford, the big one for me, Troy Clutch from Oregon State. He has a College World Series DNA. He was a big factor in you sweeping Louisville. Um, when you have a catcher yeah. that's doing what he's doing offensively and defensively, uh, when you don't have any guarantees with this portal of everything melding, how how important is that position uh, leadership-wise and, and production-wise? There's never been a good baseball team without a good catcher, ever. Uh, no disrespect to Trey Faltine. He's an awesome player, awesome, awesome competitor. One of those guys when you're, when, in, when you're in the other dugout, you know, you, not, you don't like his antics sometimes, but <laughs> you, you can tell that when you're, if you're on his team, and, and we have connections, you know, one of our, my staff members' son is on the, in the program, at, and he talks, talks about what a great teammate Trey is. No disrespect to all the Melendez, Silas Arduan, you, you, you pull him off that club. Yeah. There's just no way. They're, just, they're, they're still be good, but they're not the same. And mm. that, that's Claunch for us. He calms the storm. He'll have some horrible at-bats, but when the game comes calling, he's right yeah. there. Uh, Louisville had over 100 stolen bases. They didn't, they didn't get one against us. He threw them all out. Wow. Um, wow. <laughs> every single one. And, uh, and then, of course, blocked the – the third strike and threw the guy out to, you know, at the end of the game. So 
uh, Claunch is, he's the straw that stirs the drink, you know, for sure for us. And, and I don't know David's team as well as y'all do, but I would think Ardoan would be that for them. Yeah. You mentioned Palace, the, the, the left-handed pitcher gets the key strikeout and I'm watching on TV and I'm going, it's a three, two count on one of Louisville's best pitcher. And here comes Schloss out of the dugout taking him out. And I say, Schloss has lost his mind. Three. I'm, yelling, I'm, ye- I'm literally yelling at them. What, go, Schloss, what are you doing? What are you doing? I'm <laughs> sure a lot in the crowd were saying the same up, thing, and, right? And now, yeah. and, and now you're a legend because you did. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good players make, make <laughs> good coaches, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. If he, if he gives up a two run, walk off, two run homer there, then I get fired the next day. But um, I should have, like I've said publicly before, I, I, I freaking goaded up. I, I was too, I wanted to do it on the two, two pitch. Um, and I I've done, you know, I've never done that on a three, two pitch. I've done it several times earlier in account when, especially a runner at third base in less than two outs. And you're like, this guy has nothing. We have to have a strikeout. Yeah. And this guy has nothing to get him out with. We didn't need a strikeout there, but I thought Rudis had, we had shown the guy every pitch. And he was on every single he one was of them. Timing him. Every single one. Something yeah. bad and was about to happen. Yeah. Big damage. Big damage. And then when it got to 3 2, the turning point for me was they, they were starting the runner on the 3 2 pitch. So if he hits a double, he's scoring. If he if we hits a double play ball, it's, we're not going to get it. Right. We're not, and so if I bring the lefty, they can't start the runner. No, no, no coach has the balls to start a runner there. Yeah, exactly. And so. Uh, and, and the hitter was really in swing mode, what I call swing mode. He was, he wasn't looking to draw a walk. He was he looking was to win the game. Yep. And so I said, screw it. We're doing it right now. I should have done it on the two, two pitch. Um, and then of course, Palish is an elite strike thrower. He's only walked nine guys the whole season <laughs> and he has the really good breaking ball and the next hitter was left-handed. So, yeah, right. um, so I said, screw it. I'm doing it now. I wish I would have done it earlier, but it worked out. But the ball was almost in the dirt. He swung out of the strike zone. He it was in the dirt. And Cla- he, he, he bounced it. But I yeah. knew. And, and if you notice, uh, Cla- um, Palish, then the next guy almost hit the ball out to the right. fence. Right. And then we struck out the, la- the last guy. That was another reason I didn't want Palish in the game. The last guy is hitting 440 versus left and they're like 320 versus right. And we didn't throw him a strike. All four of the breaking balls that the guy swung at were all balls in, you know, but that's what a good pitcher does. Right. He throws, he throws pitches that look like strikes that end up being balls uh, when you're capable of doing that. So yeah. uh, it worked out. So who are your top two pitchers you're going to throw at Omaha? I mean, our starters would be Det- Nathan Detmer, who pitched that 2 nothing game against Texas last year. He's had an up-and-down season. He's been SEC Pitcher of the Week twice. Uh, he had a stretch against Vanderbilt, Alabama, and Georgia where he was like pitching into the eighth inning, like super dominant. Mm-hmm. And he's just been okay since then. And then Micah Dallas, who pitched great early, not so good in the middle, and he has been better late. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's certainly a veteran. He and Palace are the only two guys on our team that have pitched in the College World Series. So if we start those guys, and I'm anticipating we will, uh, you know, that would be. That so you had two pitchers, time. two pitchers, or two players that played in Omaha. Uh, those two, and then Clunch, all three of those guys. Clunch was the backup catcher on Oregon State 
when they won the national title with Ad- Adley Rushman as the number one pick of the draft. Oh, great catcher. So you got three players with experience. So three. I think we only had I think we only had six guys on the roster that had played in a regional. Oh wow. 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 Well, I just want to know the whole SEC thing, and obviously Texas I know you're going to join at some point. Like you said, half the field. What makes the SEC so stinking good in baseball? It's yeah, got half the field. I, you know, I've asked, been asked this question a lot, and I, have, I, I want to be real careful because I have awesome respect for the Big Twelve. Um, but Bill Mosiello, <clears throat> my assistant at TCU, who's still up there, who coached in this league a long time in the SEC. He told me when I left, he said, just remember this, you're not going to have better players than the other teams. You need to have as good of players as the other team, but you're not going to have better. Every now and then you might have a Asa Lacey or you might have a, you know, Pete Hansen, maybe that Friday night guy that's 15% better than the other guy. But in this conference, like you see Alabama and Kentucky play, you, you'd be like, holy cow, how are they? This is a, this is you could easily see this team in Omaha. Right. I mean, Ole Miss was preseason top five at one point number one in the country. The last team in the NCAA tournament, and you, I can easily see them winning a the national title. Mm-hmm. So it's just it's just the depth of the league um, in terms of you know they're they're the school of their state or one of the two schools of their state. Yeah, and um, everybody has a great ballpark. Everybody's committed at the highest level, and. No disrespect. You can't say that about the Big 12. I mean, right. you could take you could take Texas, Texas, TCU, Texas Tech, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and certainly those five teams for sure on any given year can no doubt play in, play in this conference. But it's everything else um, that – and the other thing about the Big 12 is you have the bye weeks, right? So – you can have a little soft touch in there. Texas gets that one weekend off before the conference tournament, right? In this league, once you hit that fifth weekend of the season, it's 10 straight weeks of literally 10 straight weeks of super regionals. That, that's, what that, that's what it feels like. And wow. just about just about every place has atmosphere. And so um, Texas, will, obviously, they're going to do fine. Uh, and so will Oklahoma, especially if, if they if they build some better facilities for uh, for Coach Johnson up there, which he's more than deserving, so it's just going to be. I mean, in theory, you have six of the eight teams right now are either SEC or future SEC teams. So it's crazy. It's going to be crazy. It's it's going to be insane. Yeah. Last one for me. Um, there's a game before you have to play a potential matchup against Texas. Now both fan bases are already buzzing about the potential showdown. How do you maintain that tunnel vision and make sure your guys are, are thinking sooners instead of before they start flashing the horns down? Yeah, well, I'm not a big fan of the horns down. They've been told. I mean, I can't control it, but I they've been told I'm not. I don't think the Aggies flash them as much as the Sooners and I don't mind. Carolina University Pirates. Yeah, it's that was a that was nuts. It was like they were bust in from Norman. Yeah, <laughs> it's a tired act to be honest with you. I, I'd rather I'd rather see a bunch of thumbs up or. But anyway, anyway, that's just my own personal opinion. It's tired. Um, Our guys have, I mean, we have way too much. I mean, I'm talking, I have a group of guys. I'm just trying to get them to understand what they're about to experience and and have the ability to not go up there as tourists, to go up there as baseball Mm -hmm. players, right? Right. That's the challenge of a first um, Omaha team when you have a group of guys that 
you know, I told them when we land tomorrow, well, we're going to go straight to the ballpark and you get your phone out and you can take your TikTok and your Instagram picture <laughs> and whatever else you need to do, knock it out. And then we got to be a baseball player. So um, we, I'm way more concerned with that and way more concerned with how we play against Oklahoma. And so is our team. I haven't heard one guy talk about the Longhorns. Uh, you know, they're way too much respectful of the game itself and, mm -hmm. and Oklahoma. So hopefully we get a chance to play because, well, I mean, I, I just want to win the first game so we can play a night game, first of all. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of great teams go to that place and go home in twos. So we'll try not to be one of those. I try the great teams. It's a business trip. It's not yeah. a vacation. Exactly. Yeah. And, 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 and that takes experience, you know, yeah. I mean, 2000, in 2010, you know, we beat that Augie's, I think Augie's maybe his best, his best team. Oh yeah. I'm good. We go to Omaha and, and we played, we won, you know, we won three games up there and lost two. So it can be done. Um, mm -hmm. But it's, it takes a lot of uh, focus on the things that are most important. Well, man, we appreciate it. Congratulations. We'll wait for the Uber car to be coming through uh, Austin to pick us up and uh, yeah. we'll meet you in Omaha then. So, uh, okay. Yeah. All right, guys. Herb Bowles will be there, Slaw. So if you get a knock on your hotel room door at like 3 a.m., don't open it. It'll be okay. Not open. <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> Take Man, care, thanks a lot. Good luck right. this weekend, Coach. Uh, such a pleasure. Thanks, fellas. I appreciate you all. Have a great day. Thank you, Jim. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. On Second Thought. Doug, Coach Schloss, getting it done. First year with the Aggies. Always good to hear from him. One of the good guys. One of the good guys in our business. Yeah. One of the good guys. And, man, uh, there's such a buzz. Uh, and if you like college baseball, you're really excited. I mean, you're flying up. You're flying up. You're flying up on Thursday, which is today. And the pressers are always fun. That first presser of the College World Series is always a blast. And this is your 22nd, Duck, College World yeah. Series covering? 22nd trip. I just I added it up, Sid. You know, uh, I've covered 93 Texas games at Omaha. What's the and, record? And they won 56 of them. 56 and, and 37? Right. Yeah, 56 and 37. Pretty good record with that competition you know, that they have to play. Saw them win four national championships and finish runner-up five times. So, uh, yeah, lots, lots of memories. You and I have been up there three times together, just had a blast. We love it. It's just a blessing and a privilege to be able to go up to the Mecca and enjoy all the trappings and Mr. C's and Rosenblatt Stadium, Henry Dorley Zoo. Just a lot of great memories up there. Yeah, so so fun. And uh I I I always love when they how they set the table for the event. They get all the coaches. I hope they still do it this way. They get all the coaches together, all right. eight coaches, and they have this one big massive presser and the one, one of the ones I remember most is the 2005 when, they, they, of course, they won it all. And pe people like to people in their nostalgia sometimes forget that it's not like they were the they weren't the 2005 football team, which was one of the best two. And Texas right. finished third in the Big 12 <clears throat> that year, and so and one of the teams that finished in front of them was the Baylor Bears, and the Baylor Bears 
were really good that year. They had Mark McCormick, who was a big-time pitcher. They had Michael Griffin. Drew Brees' little brother was on that team. They had some really good players. And their coach was a guy named Steve Smith. And Steve Smith, uh, not the most popular coach among his peers in the Big 12 back in then, uh, but they had the Texas Longhorns number. They eliminated them from the Big 12 tournament. They beat them in the series in Waco, two in Waco, one in Austin. And one of them, Duck, was a walk-off by Michael Griffin that, bound, that Drew Stubbs barely gets getting to. And Drew was so mad, he took that ball and he threw it into the Brazos River. <laughs> and they were just – they couldn't beat Baylor that year. And so the presser starts and – and Steve it gets to Steve Smith, and then they someone asks him about Texas, and he goes, "You know what, I, Augie and I, uh, we don't talk as much as I would like. I, I really want to be closer. I want us to talk more. I'm going to make an effort for us to talk more." And uh, Augie kept his poker face, and then afterwards, I walk up to Augie, God rest his soul, miss that guy. Walk up to Augie, and he goes. I go, man, Steve Smith, uh, you and Steve going to sing Kumbaya? And he goes, he goes, that guy. He goes, God, I just hate, I hate losing to that guy. Just <laughs> hate it. Was not a, he was not a fan of Steve Smith. Is that what he said, or was it more colorful? I, for, for, the, for the purposes of us getting published, <laughs> yeah, it was really much more colorful than that. Yeah. And yeah. you got to remember, Duck, I, I was at every game they lost. Baylor always beat them. They just yeah. beat them. And um, they, play them in, they play them in that second, I think it was the second game, where they both were one and one. And Mark McCormick is throwing that 94-mile-an-hour gas. And in the first inning, Seth Johnston, who was just a money, money player, mm-hmm. takes it over the left field wall and sets the tone. They beat Baylor. After the game, I go up to Seth and I go, "You guys, you, you guys beat Baylor. Uh, did you send a message to them after those four losses?" And Seth goes, "We didn't send them any message, but this is Omaha. This is not Waco. That's where that's where Texas lives. That's yeah. where Texas lives. Sleepy Wheelis walks off, walks them off a yeah. couple of days later. Sends Baylor packing, and the rest is history. The Texas Longhorns." Win another one. Duck, I know my experience was with Augie, but you had you had the pleasure of covering Augie and Gus at the College World Series, and I never got a chance. I talked to Coach Gus over the years, but I never got a chance to see him in his glory. Do you have any favorite memories of Coach Gus at uh, Omaha uh, at pressers or anything like that? Mm-hmm. Well, one stands out. Uh, I forget what year it is, but uh, Miami was a huge uh, program back then under Ron Frazier. He built that program from scratch, you know, and uh, they it seemed like they were there like every year and just had some tremendous games. But I remember uh, one year talking about that, opening press conference that you mentioned, all eight coaches are there. Uh, it, it came to be Coach Gus's turn. And Coach Gus, as most of them said, so oh, it's just, you know, great to be here. Didn't think we were going to get here. And just things had to fall into place. And 
you know, it's been a long year. You know, we've had a lot of ups and downs and kind of had a mid-season slump and just, you know, finally were able to write the ship and nice. just, you know, so thankful to be here. So, and then Ron Frazier, the Miami coach, couldn't take it anymore. And so I look at him over there and he's going, well, Coach Gus, I see your record's 59 and 6. <laughs> what slump are you talking about? And everybody oh, just cracked oh, up. Oh, know. my God. Did Gus laugh? Oh, my God. He was just he was just real, had that wry grin on his face. It's like, you know. Um, and like you said, like Augie said, it's mandatory to go to Omaha. And David Pierce making his third trip. Uh, up there so you know really impressive and uh you know came within a, a hair's breadth of making the championship series last year you remember they made the final four and oh, yeah couldn't get past mississippi state they although they beat them once and lost two one-run games and and then you remember nc state had covid and had to bow out so vanderbilt Crazy. had a walkover into the championship so different times then but uh Omaha is a special place, and I uh, can't wait to get back here. Well, big spring at Texas. They've already sealed the Director's Cup, and we're not even in Omaha yet. They've sealed it, and uh, just a dominant, dominant spring. Yeah. Four national championships. And how many runner-up finishes were there? Uh, they had uh, – uh, was it four? Four runner women's softball, men and women's outdoor track and, and swimming. So they had 10 teams out of 19 that finished top five and eight finished first or second. So almost, that's, that's almost half of. your teams finished first or second. That's I mean, unheard of. And unbelievable. I, I know I received a few choice words from Longhorn Nation for my column on Tuesday where I said they would trade in – they trade in a couple of those spring natties for a Big 12 title, not even a CFP. They mm-hmm. That's how championship-starved the football fan base is. Duck, they are this, – this, I don't know if it puts pressure on Sarkeesian in, 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 in year two, but you have to be – if you're him and you're walking through campus and you, you see you – see, you see uh, Eddie Reese, and you see Coach Flo, and 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 you see John Fields, and you you can buy and sell those guys, mm-hmm. and those guys are at the top of their professions yeah. right now, and you're coming off a of five and seven and a loss to Kansas. You can't tell me that's not pressure, Doug. No, you're right, and you know the way they say, "Rising tide raises all boats," and we'll see if. You know, maybe by osmosis, if nothing else, some of the success of men's golf and women's tennis and softball kind of rub off on on Texas. I don't know if it add any pressure or not. He knows what he's in for, but and I don't know if it's a hot seat or not. But the Wolves aren't too far away from the door when you go five and seven. Boom. You know, they're so, howling. They're starting. Yeah, to, it, they're starting to howl a little bit. You go five and seven again, or six and six. Oh my God! You know there'll be people checking the fine print of your contract. You know, so there's pressure, and he knows it. But uh, boy, the the bar has been raised at Texas. You know what? Um, no need to check the fine print. There's one word in that contract that just tells you what you need to know. Guarantee. 
which I hate. I hate guaranteed contracts. I know you, you have, have like a, a guaranteed. Sir. Don't you, you have, have a guaranteed, guaranteed contract at the Statesman? No, you do, don't you? I don't know what a contract is, fam. Well, I do have a guaranteed contract. They they owe me for each day's work. And nice. That's, nice. That's as long as my guarantee goes. But uh, <laughs> I, I just, I don't understand that. Does anybody else, how many professions have a guaranteed contract? Does, does the, does the, uh, yeah, at uh, the cook at Lotus, I mean, all his, that's all family oriented. So I'm sure they have guaranteed contracts, but you know the the cook, the the taxi driver, the Uber driver, the insurance salesman, the tire salesman. They don't have guaranteed contracts. I'm going to tell you why they don't, Doug. They're not in the entertainment business. Why does that make it any different? Why should you? Would you, let me ask you this? I'm tell you, I can tell I, you. Ask. I'm going to tell you. I'm, let me ask you. Though. You're the AD. You're yes. Chris Del Conte. Would you give guaranteed contracts? Absolutely. If I want to stay competitive with with. But if you don't, somebody else will, Doug. Sorry. Sorry. I disagree because you're going to say, okay, if you don't give a guaranteed contract to Steve Sarkeesian, he's not coming to Texas, that's baloney. He'll he'll go where there's guaranteed money. No, no. How many Texas jobs are there? Would he go – say you're Steve Sarkeesian, you're at Alabama, and you can stay at Alabama, make decent money, not great head coach money, but – you go, uh, you know, I know they're going to pay me $6 million a year, but well, it's only one year. I don't have my whole five years, six years guaranteed. It's like, how many people can live off $6 million? How many people are going to make $6 million in their entire lives? And you make it in one year. I think that just adds to the entitlement when you it guarantee does. these salaries. You don't have to if you're Texas. Yes, you do, Doug. No, I, if yes, you're you at LaSalle or Maine or – uh, UNLV, maybe you have to do that to attract the top talent. In Texas, I don't think you do. So you're telling me, well, let, let me give you an example. Okay. I'll give you an example. My, my, yeah. good, my, my good friend, my brother, John High of, of Fox News, great, great sports <clears throat> on Fox. So John High, um, Shaka resigns to take the job at Marquette. Right. And John High goes, why is he leaving? He's still mm-hmm. got another year left at Texas. And I and I, I look at John, I go, you go where you wanted. Shaka could have stayed and had a and stubbed his toe for the three and a half he was making. And I don't know that he makes that in Marquette. But he oh, left and he took the guaranteed money that he knew he'd get. At Marquette. So for me, Duck, I believe that you go where you're wanted. And if Texas uh, has, if te- if Texas says, uh, we, we got an opening for a football team, we are going to not guarantee the head coach's job, but we're going to still pay $6 million a year. We're going to three, three one-year contracts. Six million a year. We're not giving a five-year, thirty million dollar guaranteed deal. And then the Aggies go, we will. I'd go to A and M. The bloom is off. I mean, Texas is great, but the bloom is off that prestige thing. This is a business. This is about setting yourself up for the future. You take the for show money 
over anything else. You well, take sure. that money. Well, that's why Jimbo. And if you want to stay here. competitive, Duck, you can't go. Oh, we're not giving guaranteed contracts because there's too many people who are. It's it's a competitive marketplace. It's a free market, and uh, that's a reason why you got college kids driving around in Lamborghinis now. I you're not going to get a you're to. not going to get a Lambo if 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 you go to Tulsa. But Texas, you can get a Lambo. Ohio State, you can get a Lambo. It's competitive, and the big dogs have bigger bones than the little dogs. And that's how you get the best talent. You pay, and you guarantee that money. I totally disagree. I think it adds to the entitlement. I go, how is that? How are those guaranteed contracts working out for Texas football? That's hindsight, sir. That's hindsight. Well, I'm talking foresight here. Charlie got three guaranteed. Well, actually, got five years guaranteed money. You got twenty five million. Mm-hmm. Had three losing seasons. How'd that work out? Tom Herman got guaranteed contracts, and he, he was he was there four years, won bowl games, but he never won the conference. And you're paying him millions. Sarkeesian. Oh wow. I don't know what it was. Is a six-year deal guaranteed? How'd that work? Oh, you're five and seven. It's broken. It's not working. And I guarantee you, you would get good coaches at Texas. You may not get that great coach if you're McNeese State or West Texas State or Kansas State. They can't afford. Uh, they don't have the resources of a Texas. I think it's just misled. I just don't. I think it's agent-driven. I mean, of course. you know, yeah, but you're going to get good coaches anywhere. I mean, Joey McGuire gets the Texas Tech job. I don't know if he's got a guaranteed uh, contract for every year. I, I don't know. I bet he does. Doug. It'd be really interesting to check around college football uh, top 25, how many have guaranteed contracts. And the there's the other too. The good agents. The Jimmy Sexton's right. of the world, like, you know, he's just pulling these strings, you know. So you go. So you, as a coach, you'd go to a place that's. I mean, if the Aggies offered you thirty million guaranteed over over five years, and Texas offered you thirty million over five years, but it's not. But none of them are guaranteed. You'd still take Texas. I would just because of resources. What's A and M won? They've won one national title in nineteen thirty nine. Was the last year they won. You're, it's thinking like, like, you're thinking like a sports writer. You're not thinking like a businessman. I'm just saying. You think an American? You're telling you take, me you take you take the deal. You no, don't you talk don't. about I, resources. You take the thirty million dollars. You cash that lottery ticket. What if you go two and ten your first year, and they go, "Nah, you got to go," and then you're sitting there with five million when you could have had twenty five million, even if you went two and ten five straight years. All no. these coaches are rich. All they're rich, and it's it's monopoly money to like them. Like I told you months ago, Dick Clark worked till he was 85 years old, and they asked him, why are you still working? You don't need the money. He goes, I want the money. I want the money. And he wasn't 85, but he was close to it. But he, he earned goes, I work because I want it, not because I need it. And okay. after a while, it, it, it it's, about, it's about winning, but – you never not get when it. it's guaranteed. It's not never. about winning. Oh well, I've written that. You know, Charlie, I've written that. I wrote it this year. I said, why? Why are you giving extensions uh, after a five and seven season? Where's the exactly. motivation? But exactly. I, but that, but that's a different argument than than do I take the thirty million guaranteed over non guaranteed? 
And if te- if Texas start if 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 CDC starts going, well, we're not guaranteeing any more contracts. Uh, I think I don't know that he's going to be able to get the, the great coaches. Compete. He hadn't gotten great coaches. No, he, hasn't. he hadn't gotten Charlie Strong's not a great coach. Tom Herman's not a great coach. They haven't gotten him anything with the guaranteed contract. And I'm just he saying, he did I'm just saying if, if you're the coach, yeah, I want guaranteed contract. You and I are sports writers. We'd love guaranteed contracts, but we're not, they're not offering them to us. I'm just saying if you're Texas, I'm, if you're the coach, yeah. If you want to take 30 million guaranteed over 5 million guaranteed, sure. But it, money's not everything. And, and along those lines, the LIV golf, you know, where they're giving these guaranteed money and Joe Mickelson's getting, I don't know, a hundred million and he's getting, you know, excoriated all he's over the nation. Crushed. He got absolutely crushed. I know. He took the money. money. He took the money. guaranteed money. And he mentioned, he goes, I'm still working on my gambling. And he goes, I'm going to be doing effort or be trying to work on effort the rest of my life. Phil Mickelson needed that money, Doug. He needed it. He well, needed I just that think. Money. And I, it's blood money. I never would have taken it. It's blood money. It is. And Sergio took it. And Dustin DJ Johnson. Took it, and just the Shambles the took it. And I don't blame the PGA. I don't either. Spending these guys because it's a, I mean, it's <clears> a murderous <throat> regime. It's yes. 9-11 people. Yep. It's the people. It's the people that, that assassinated a Washington Post reporter. And so it's blood money. And you find out what people are made of. Am I judging? you damn right I'm judging. Hell yeah. I never would have done that, Doug. No, and, I wouldn't either. And wouldn't Phil, even Mickelson, think twice about Phil Mickelson had a, had a feces-eating grin on his face. It was a little smug. I watched all 24 minutes of that thing. And they came for his throat, and he was com- he was combative at points. Um, I don't want to quit asking two questions in a row, Phil. Phil, those guys have been asking you two questions in a row for thirty years. You can't have it both ways. And you've been so cordial with the media, but you knew you knew that this was coming. You knew this was coming, and um, you know the quote comes out. You know, have they killed people? Sure, they've killed people, but this money. Is life changing money, and so uh, they asked uh, Dustin, not Dustin Johnson, not Justin Thomas, about it in his presser. I watched some of it, and he goes, "You know what? Everybody has a price." Everybody. I disagree with that. I disagree. Well, I don't know. Phil Mickelson had a price. You said everybody. Everybody has a price. I disagree with that. You know. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, there's some, yeah, there's certain there's certain things you just don't do. Don't you think they would have given Tiger Woods five hundred million? Guaranteed? It's out there that that there was a ten figure deal on the table for Tiger. Yeah, yeah, sure. He he said no. He you said know. no, but he also got a billion dollars. So. Oh yeah, he's got plenty. <laughs> but I don't know. I, I just, don't know that. Uh, yeah, I don't. I can't. We don't, Kirk. We don't know these people. No, we don't. Know them. So I we can't do. say what type. What Tiger would do or what he wouldn't do if he were in the same position as Lefty, who's obviously not not as comfortable at the bank as he was. He got yeah, a hundred twenty five. That's a weak excuse. That's a weak excuse. I've got a gambling addiction, so I'm going to take blood money. Yeah, it's just I find that abhorrent, and uh, I just think they're going to get 
booed like crazy at these PGA events, maybe the U.S. Open this week. But, you know, they've done terrific damage to their reputations, and, and they can fault PGA Tour for being greedy like Phil Mickelson has, but they were all in bed together. PGA Tour made Phil Mickelson more than Phil Mickelson has made the PGA Tour because they're going to be stars, whether it's Scotty Scheffler or Tiger or Phil or Dustin Johnson or Roy McIlroy, they're always going to be stars in the PGA. And I just feel like these guys have kind of sold their souls to the devil uh, to take Greg, this. Greg money. Norman, um, you got you got um, Gary Player coming out and ripping, ripping America. Basically, I don't know if you saw that. No, I didn't see that. Oh, you know, for America to be so critical and they've got school (laughs) shootings, children getting shot and gun violence. And I'm like, you're you're going to play the gun violence card over over an evil government regime. Right. That that is sanctioned killings. You know, and he's been in bed with the Saudis for many years, Gary Player. And um, I, I think, Duck, and I thought about it, thought about you. Um, remember those beautiful um, photo ops of of the Golden Bear and Gary Player uh, teeing off at Augusta? Mm-hmm. That's over. You ain't seeing Gary Player tee off at Augusta again. Yeah. That's it. That's it for yeah. Gary Player. Right. And see, it all goes down to guaranteed money. Bad. It's bad. It's entitlement. Guaranteed it's, money and blood money are two different things, though. Oh, absolutely. But they're taking the blood money because of guaranteed money. Here's your purse up front. We don't care if you make another uh, eagle. You know, here's the blood money. Go run to the bank. And uh, I think, uh, you know, I think a lot of these golfers are really going to, you know, you know, regret, you know, taking that blood money. I do. So anyway. Well, this was spirited. This was fun. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more NIL, which, <coughs> which I don't know if that's guaranteed money or not. Quinn Ewers hasn't it is. It completed is. the pass yet, but he's driving around an Aston Martin, same as you, right? I'm driving around in an Aston Forerunner, um, <laughs> which I love, which I uh, love. It's an Aston wish- Martin to me. Don't you wish they had NIL deals for sports riders that we could eat free at Lotus? I'd love it. I'd yeah. absolutely love it. We need to talk to Yao about that. We'll talk to Yao about that. We we we're gonna we're gonna get our money eventually, Doc. It's every other so, Friday right now, and I I I'll take I'll take whatever the statesman's throwing at me. So. We'll be happy to take it, man. It was a great podcast today, all over College World Series, Texas Notre Dame. All over the Aggies and the Sooners. Oh my goodness. Great weekend. That's gonna do it for 265. But before we go, we gotta thank Tristan Tom, Tristan Stevens, Duck. We gotta Thanks. thank Jim Schlossnagel for joining us. Now we're gonna take off next week because you big boy's gonna be on vacation and Duck's gonna still probably be in Omaha, but We'll be back. We'll be back in a couple of weeks to rehash the summer that was. Thank you for joining us. We had a blast for the duck, Kirk Bowles. I'm Sad Golden, and we'll see you next time. You've been listening to On Second Thought, powered by Hook'em.com. Join Sad and Kirk every Thursday at lunch for a new episode. 
archived episodes are available on iTunes and Google Android Play.